I'm so technologically challenged. I'm so sorry. You're fine. It's been this happening. is my first time. This is my first time with Zoom, so I, I'm oh. feeling like where where are my adult children to help me through this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've been, I've done several of these now, so. Oh, so you're a pro. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. There's the kids can do fancy things. They can change their background. Oh my God. BK Sherrod. Um, I did Joe Kimball's like game show thing. Um, uh -huh. about frenzy. And he had like all these cool backgrounds, like, Oh wow. Full house. And there was a couple others. Those kids. Those crazy. Bless them. And their technology. <laughs> um, I'm just, I just now started getting into Snapchat. So I don't. Oh, yeah. Look uh, at you. Now the kids are all like about TikTok and I'm like, what? Yes. I, my husband is all about TikTok. By the way, if you add a the in front of it, it makes you sound super old. So I'm always like, he's all about the TikTok. The TikTok. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I first heard of TikTok because my uncle Marty, who is, you know, like 60, uh, yeah. going through a divorce and he called me up drunk one night wanting to get some advice on how to meet women uh, my age because um, he's, oh. he's a he's a good looking older man um, yeah and he's fit and stuff so it would make sense for him to date a woman in her 40s um, sure and I was like I don't know Marty I have I don't date old men so I don't know where <laughs> in my age go to meet men your age um, I right. date younger men um, and so but he was like talking about you know, online dating. And he was like, you know, I downloaded this thing called TikTok. And I was like, Marty, I don't even know what that is. Delete it off your phone. I don't know what it is, but you, whatever it is, you don't need to be on it because I don't know what it is. So just delete that um, off your phone. And then my that's hilarious. told me what TikTok was. And I was like, <laughs> why do we need another one you can't do I know that. I know you can't I mean, some, of it is, some of it is funny what it's it sounds like it's mostly like a video and then they dub words over it and then people act out that same video with the same audio over and over again which kind of, I mean, it's, it, it's totally because of the quarantine. People have too much time on their hands, I'm sure. Nobody would ever do that in their real life. So They're doing yeah. it before the quarantine. The kids are all about the TikTok. I don't know. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, because this, the conversation I had with my Uncle Marty was like uh, over a year ago before I. Oh my God. I had. I didn't know it was that old. I thought it was something that just came about in the no, past couple no. months. No, the kids were, oh I'd say it's just now getting because of the quarantine to us old people. Uh, <laughs> we're finally learning what the TikTok is. We're scrounging. But, we're scrounging. Yes. But I just, I just started using the Snapchat just a little <laughs> only because of the Bitmoji and the cameo. They, I, I, I downloaded Snapchat so that I could get, the the bitmoji with my friends my friend oh yes specifically because i wanted to have bitmojis with the two of us in it and you have okay you do that through snapchat so that's the only reason i downloaded snapchat and got that's funny on snapchat um 
So I just, I really don't use it very much. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't understand why I don't need my conversations to disappear. I have nothing to hide. Um, (laughs) But if somebody does like screenshot you on Snapchat or they, they save your picture to their phone, it tells you. Oh, okay. Yeah. So interesting. But I remember when Snapchat came out, my daughter is 21. She was like in middle school, maybe. I remember she was like uh-huh. 15 and her dad, she downloaded Snapchat without permission, I guess. And she lived with her dad primarily, primarily. And he grounded her because he was just like, why you need your conversations to disappear? What you try to hide? And um, he was, I didn't really find it as big a deal as he did, but he was just like, right he grounded her for it. So she went and got a second like burner type smartphone uh-huh. when she get grounded from her phone. Um, of course I didn't find this out till years later, but I wasn't the one mad at her. I didn't care. Um, right. I was just kind of, I didn't care enough to fight her father about it, but I didn't really care myself. I was like, I don't know you're grounded. So I'm going to go with him on the fact that you're grounded while you're at my house, but just know I don't really care. Um, exactly. But then like years later, I found out she had this second phone and when she wasn't grounded, she would rent it out to her friends who were. Oh my God. How street smart is that? That's really impressive. I know her dad would have been so pissed, but I was just proud. I was like, yeah, man, you're going to be a good businesswoman. You know? Heck yeah. I, I would be super proud of that. That's awesome. I know. And then she came here junior year. And, um, this is obviously, we're just kind of like bullshit right now. She, she got like edibles, like sativa chiba chews and took them back and uh-huh. kids paid 10, $20 for one 10 milligram chiba chew. Wow. The profit on that. That's incredible. Yeah. No, it's like, cause there, there were eight in a pack then. So that's 80 bucks on a 20. Yeah. You yeah. Were, it's like 400%. Oh my God. So smart. I feel yeah. I feel confident now in America's youth. I'm happy that she's I feel that positively. I have four generation Z children. Um and you know, we're in Wichita, Kansas, you know, is where they grew up. And just seeing how um open that their generation is to like LGBTQ and just Yeah kids coming out as gay and trans in high school, in middle school, in Wichita, Kansas. Um, I was like, I think these kids are going to be like, I have a lot of hope for the generation Z. Um, I feel like a lot of them are growing up faster than they need to. um, Cause they just live in this age of school shootings and all this political turmoil. Um, and stuff. And I think they're, I think they're a lot more jaded than yeah. I was definitely in the 90s yeah. that age. But when I was in high school, there weren't any gay people coming out. I mean, they were no. there, obviously. Right. Um, but I didn't know anybody that was out in high school or, yeah. So I think that you know, I have a lot of hope for the next generation, but then yeah. you know, I'm watching these political documentaries of, uh, I don't know how old you are, but, uh, you know, like of the sixties and the stuff when, when all these people were protesting the Vietnam war and all these people that are now boomers and they're grown 
And I just want to sit them down and be like, what the fuck happened to you? You know? Yeah. What happened yeah. To you? When, when did you choose to sell out? Was it when you had kids or something? Like what? Right. How, how did you get from there to here? Like where'd your right. ideals go? I know. I just don't even understand it at all. Yeah. I was watching a lot of political, I was watching Oliver Stone's like the truth of American history or something. I can't remember the name of the show. I've been watching it, but I had to stop watching it because it was just pissing me off so bad. And right. Just want to leave the country is what it was doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just I'm about to watch um, The Longest War. Yeah. It's um, on HBO. And I tried to watch it at work the other night, but it was in home only. And so um, I have that recorded and I'm about to watch. And that's one of the things that I'm, I guess, mournful over is my kids have never not been alive during when we have no war yeah. they've my my son is 27 my daughter is 24 and or no she's 25 um but uh ugh, I forget um they've never been around when there's peace they're they have always had war and I'm just like oh it's so it's so sad. And I think you're right. They probably are a little bit jaded because it's been part of their lifetime the entire time. Yeah. I had, you know, that's when, you know, the school shootings started in the late nineties and, uh -huh. then, um, you know, nine 11. Um, and that is what the world they came into. Um, right. I, I was pregnant with my fourth when 9-11 happened and my other three were too young to be conscious of it. But that's just the world they came into. The, the world they came into was scary and dangerous. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's just how they're, it's, it's not as big a deal to them, mm -hmm. but being someone who was able, you know, was able to grow up in a world that wasn't like that. I, being able to grow up as a kid and a teenager and I just had to worry about the regular ass like does this boy like me or am I cool enough right that's all I had to worry about in school and now these kids have to worry about school shootings and um the government poisoning their water and not caring and um, there's just so and also like there was the there was so much that we just didn't know because we didn't have the information you know like we didn't yeah. have the internet. Um, right. We only knew our little bubble. And as long as our little bubble was okay, we didn't really know what was going on outside that bubble unless it was like really big. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was in high school when the Oklahoma city bombing happened. Mm. Um, that was like the first major thing I really remember um, as a teen that, that like a senior. You want to go outside? I was like a senior. Sorry, We're walking to let dogs out. Aww. We have these <laughs> ceilings. We have tall ceilings. <laughs> no, but um, I remember being in the, I was at the Wichita Eagle when the bombing happened. I was, I was interviewing Winwagon Smith, who was the guy for we have this thing called the river festival and um, he was like the, the guy that would start off the parade and the river festival is the whole Wichita thing. And uh -huh. um, like in the middle of interviewing him is when the bomb happened uh. in the city, you know, we're in Wichita, so we're not that far. Right. 
but we didn't know what was going on. There was like 20 kids or so from high schools there and they kind of put us in a room and shut down the interview and we're like just staying here while they figured out what was going on because they didn't know if there were going to be more bombs they didn't know what was going on right um so we're in there and of course they told you told us to stay in there but i i mean i stayed in there but i opened the door like i was seeing what was going on and just kind of like a pandemonium and you know i could hear snippets of what was happening um but you know eventually we got to leave and when we got home and I watched the news, I realized that those people at the Wichita Eagle knew what had happened before the general public did. And that made me want to go into journalism for a little while because I wanted to, I wanted to know, I wanted yeah. to be on the front lines of it. I wanted to make sure that it was reported accurately and, so I, I learned about how the media is supposed to be like the watchdog of the government. And, uh, and now it's, it's not, and it wasn't, no. and it wasn't really then either. I mean, maybe newspapers were, um, but now it's about ratings and making money and right. salacious as possible. Right. And, putting your spin on whatever story it is. And I don't even know who to trust anymore. No, I've been watching and reading a lot of BBC. Yeah. Um, about American news. If I want yeah. to really know what's going on here, I feel like they're going to tell me they don't have an agenda. Exactly. Which is sad. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, but yeah, I, I get a lot of my info from the BBC as well. Yeah. And I, I mean, I do, I, I do follow some like uh, citizen journalist. Um, not any I can really name, but I, I don't, I don't just discredit them because they're not a major news site, right? Um, because they have, they probably have it. It's just everybody has an agenda. Nobody just wants to tell me the information, just, just the facts, sir. You know, That's right, just right. That's all you're supposed to be doing, the who, what, when, where, and why. That's what right. you're doing in journalism. It doesn't matter. The rest of it doesn't matter, but they're all owned by every single news station you watch is right. something. And even like I used to just really listen to like public radio and stuff, mm -hmm. NPR, but it still feels like they have their own slant on it because they have their own they 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 don't want to put down or call out somebody that is supportive of them right it's the same thing with regular media just they're all worried about their money yep yep yeah there's just too i don't even care about i'm so i've always been poor i don't even care about money people are like oh the economy's going to collapse i'm like i really don't think it's going to affect me that much right Right. If it did. Yeah. Let it collapse. Let it all burn down. Right. Exactly. Here's my blowtorch. You can borrow it. <laughs> That's the only way anything's really. And then watching that Oliver Stone documentary, I realized how it's always been fucked. Um, yeah. At least since after Roosevelt, like I watched the part about the 1944, I think it was primaries for vice president 
when Truman got vice president over Wallace and it was, it was not what the will of the people wanted, but it's what the movers and shakers maneuvered things to be. And then Truman is a, wow. Truman's fucking evil. Um, Truman yeah. is not a good person. He, he said that he slept just fine after dropping the bomb on the Japanese. Oh my God. And that they were going to surrender. He didn't say this, but you know, in hindsight, we see that the Japanese were going to surrender even without the bombs. We dropped those bombs so that we could show Russia what we could do to them. Oh my God. And it didn't even work. Russia was not, Russia was not scared. Wow. Yeah. Two more weeks and Japan would have folded anyway. We didn't need to drop bombs on them. We did oh, it. Oh, terrible. We did it as a show of force to the world. Um, yeah, and they're so. They just and the repercussion of CT and X ray tech. So that's something that we learned about, you know, with the radiation damage and everything from school and the repercussions from that. They're still experiencing repercussions from that. I mean, my God. It altered the DNA of. Yes. Yes. The whole country of people. Um, right. Who I know, like, they followed their emperor, but. I separate the people from the government because I don't agree with my government and what they do. Right. Right. And so I don't want someone killing me because I'm American because my government's assholes. And I, right. I know that the Japanese had more, a more unified way of thinking than we do. But at the end of the day, they were just people that were trying to survive in the government. You couldn't not support your government or you'd be killed. The other choice didn't right. have, but to be loyal to their government. So, right. Yeah, I don't, I don't agree with anything. I just really want to leave the country now. I really, I know. I would, I would like nothing more than to go to another country and become a citizen of that country and completely renounce my American citizenship. Yeah, I feel you. Which is I feel you. Because my children, if I didn't have, if I didn't have children, if I didn't have children, I'd, I'd probably, I'd be in Ireland or something right now. I, yeah, yeah. I've been looking at Dublin. They got a good comedy. Nice. Scene. They got a good comedy scene there. Um, Sweet. Yeah, and you can get like a six-month entertainment visa. And um, as long as you keep getting booked, you can re-up it. Um, but I also, I have a background in accounting. Oh, so I can do that's that right. I remember you saying that. Yeah. So I can do that. And I could actually, if I were, if I really cared enough to get a bachelor's and really take my education higher, I could definitely go get Canadian citizenship because there, there's certain fields you could with your field, uh, yeah. certain fields that are lacking in Canada and can everyone's like, oh, I'm going to go to Canada. Like Canada don't want you. I know exactly. <laughs> they, Canada don't need no more burger flippers. Canada don't need, everyone seems to think that Canada's just going to let us in. Uh -huh. Right. No, they, you can't get Canadian citizenship unless you marry somebody and then it's still a process and, or you are in a profession that they are lacking. Um, otherwise you can come visit, but they don't want you. No. 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 I'm just going to leave America and go to this country. That country don't want you either. Why does everyone think that I'm an American? Everyone wants me. Um, right? We're so, we're so entitled. I know. 
which we <laughs> I'm embarrassed. I don't even want to travel overseas and tell people I'm an American. I know. I know. It's scary right now. You're a shirt that says I'm an American and I'm sorry. <laughs> an American, please don't hold it against me. Okay. I did the best I could. That's right. <laughs> and I got out. I don't know. I've been arguing with people. I'm done arguing with people on the internet. I don't care anymore. Yeah. Um I got I got into something on Sunday and uh I just had the wor or no it was Saturday. I had the worst day. I ended up having to go to work afterwards and I felt all icky and stuff and I was like it's not going to change their mind for whatever I have to say to them. It's not going to change their mind. So why waste my words? That's what I told my friend you know? that was actually messaging me in Facebook on the messenger. Like who's a friend, friend of mine. I wouldn't just block over some stupid shit, but you know, they're trying to like get me to vote for Biden because it's, you know, there's too much at stake and I know right. it's terrible, but he's not as bad as Trump. And I was like, I'm not, voting for him i'm not voting for i'm gonna go into the booth and i'm gonna vote for who i think should be who i want to hire to be my president you know what I mean? right and i was having this conversation with somebody the other day about whether i don't know if the rape allegation is true this has nothing to do with what this podcast is supposed to be about but if the rape allegation is true or not doesn't matter to me. I do believe that he's a sexual harasser, and yeah. as as somebody who worked in HR, because she she is a cop, you know, so she wants facts, she wants evidence, and all this stuff. And I'm like, well, I look at more as like I'm looking who do I want to hire to be my president. Mm -hmm. um, and if I were if if Joe Biden were a CEO of a company, I would fire him. If seven yeah. women came forward and said they made he made them uncomfortable. So, it, right. and, and the thing is too, is like, I've been reading in more like underground news sources about these stories. That mm -hmm. they, so it's not that these women have not, why didn't they say something? They did. They've been saying something. It's just the mainstream media did not report it. Um, right. And a lot of them didn't say anything because it, like, why didn't he, they say anything when he was going to be vice president? And I was like, what are you, are you really going to stop Barack Obama from being president? Right. Because. Right because Joe Biden made you feel uncomfortable once and stuck, you know, rubbed your shoulders too long. Is that really, you really going to say anything at that point? And then he was vice right. president for eight fucking years. And, and then it's like, when he's, you know, there's never, it would, they're damned if they do and damned if they don't. So it doesn't really matter. It's just the number of them is what, if it had been one woman, um, but it's not, it's, Right. And I've seen things, I told her, I've seen things with my own eyes that I felt were weird when he right. said things or the way he interacted with women and young girls in his speeches and, and when he'd be out on the campaign rallies. I mean, even when he was with Obama, I saw weird, just things that didn't sit right with me that right. of I didn't make a big deal about publicly. Um, but then when those women came out, I was like, uh, yeah, I was right. That did, that was weird how he just would always like put his hands on the back of women and stand behind. Yes. Those. And even like girls that were like teen, teenage girls. Um, he yeah. So handsy with them and, but he wasn't with men. So it's like, if he wants to say, well, I'm just an affectionate person and I'm a hands-on type person, fine, but you're not touching men. Right. You're only touching right. women. So why are you so 
hands-on with women. And then my friend, yeah. he's, he's just kind of a creepy handsy old man. He's not a rapist. And I was like, well, I don't want a creepy handsy old man to be the fucking president. I'm like, no, I'm not going to hire him to do that. So if I'm going to go yeah. to a booth and they're like, well, why even go vote if you're going to ride in Daffy Duck or whatever I joke about? And I was like, cause that's my fucking right. It's my right to exactly. go who I believe should be the president of our country. And I'm not going to vote for somebody. I'm not voting against Trump when I vote. I'm voting right. for somebody. Right. I'm not, I'm, you know, and they're like, well, people like you are why Trump's going to win again. No, no, I didn't know the DNC chose him, not me. I didn't choose, yeah. I didn't choose Biden. Right. I don't even think the people chose Biden. I no. Saw, I saw that shit firsthand at the county and state level in Kansas in 2016. And that's when I really started getting like completely, I started, I got involved in local politics and it made me not want to be involved in politics as a citizen almost like those mm -hmm. people even at the county level are dirty and right and only care like i was trying you know what precinct committee people are no like each precinct like where you vote is supposed to have and it's very archaic because you have a man and a woman um from each party <laughs> um there a male and a female as it and, and so you each party gets two two people and you have like a little area where you know you're the one that's supposed to go out and engage with the voters and engage with the the democrats or the republicans or whatever about the different candidates and and just you know get out the vote and try to sign people up to go vote and things like that in your little area well okay. those people are the ones that vote in the county people which vote in the state people which vote in the federal people oh uh, that run the actual DNC. Um, so like I was just dealing with like the vice president and the president of the Cedric County Democrats. Um, mm -hmm. And I was trying to fill precinct committee positions cause I was like, I wanted to fill them with progressive people. I wanted to make the party. I was always an independent until Bernie. And then I switched to Democrat to vote for him. And then I got involved yeah. with the Democrats and I wanted to fix the party um, and get, right. it, get, it, get it back to where, what it was supposed to be about. Get it, you know, back yeah. to Roosevelt and the New Deal and all that. And uh, they didn't like it because they, they could have had all, there's 900 and something precinct committee positions in the state of Kansas. And wow. 70 something of them were filled. Wow. Um, because they would fill them with their friends that would vote them in and then all, all the way up that's how it's done wow when i came in and was like no i want to fill these people these positions with all kinds of different people um so that we truly have a voice that's where the voice starts is in those positions yeah. and at least as far as parties go and they didn't like it um, the, the Cedric, the vice president of Cedric County came to suddenly was very interested in what we were doing and came to a meeting. I was just trying to have a meeting uh, with people that also wanted to fill precinct committee positions and give them information on what it was and how to do it and, and get some people to sign up and um, just get the information out there. And he came and just kind of took over my meeting and um, got it derailed into talking about 
um, getting senators and Congress people and stuff elected and um, and everybody the meeting just ended up with being with like everybody was arguing and everybody was just like you know bickering amongst themselves like there were several different right. things going on in this room of like 40 people and I got really frustrated and I pounded my fist on the table and I was like hey look <laughs> I'm here to fill precinct committee positions and that's the only thing I'm really that I'm here to discuss okay I I'm paying a sitter I'm not here to squabble with any of you I want to fill precinct committee positions so if anybody right. interested in filling precinct committee positions you let me know and I got up and I left and some people followed me and they were like don't leave we are interested blah blah blah, blah. and then the it kind of it kind of just ended after that and the vice president guy Esau oh, I hate him. Yeah. He, what a weird name Esau <laughs> he, he came up to me and he said look what you're doing is great but basically he said what you're doing is great but it's a lost cause and oh, well I think that you would be really great to work on this senator's campaign and um, I think you'd be amazing on a you know just fucking just stroking me off just stroke yeah off, you know and um he basically said you know and everybody will know your name everybody will know who you are and oh i said God. i don't give a shit if anybody ever knows who my name is for this for politics i want to fill right. positions i want to make the party better and make my country better i don't care i want people to know my name for comedy i don't give a shit if anybody ever knows who the hell i am for this yeah that's not right. doing it. But yeah, he literally said, everybody will know who you are. Everybody will know your name. And I was just like, I don't give a fuck, Esau. Yeah. I don't give a fuck. That's not why I'm doing this. I don't give a shit. Right. Um, and so I tried to do it and I did sign up. We did get about 15 more positions filled in Sedgwick County. That's great. Um, including myself. And I was they have the software that has all the democrat you know all, everyone that's registered as a democrat in there in my district and i was supposed to have access to that um and then they were saying no only people that are running only people that are running campaigns get access to that and i was like that's not true i'm supposed to be able to get access to it um they're like no you're only supposed to be able like we can give you a list of the i was like okay well give me the list of the registered democrats in my district and they just never did oh i'm sorry i'm so busy and they just kept putting me off putting me off putting me off and so i went up to the state level and asked them you know is this right am i supposed to and they're like no you should have access to it but they still did not do anything and they just drug their feet and by the time they finally got me access to the to the registered democrats in my district the primary was over after oh. it was over is when they got it to me um wow and then it and th they got me this list and they were like well hillary's our candidate so you don't go out there talking about bernie you just talk about hillary and so a lot of the precinct committee people didn't they just didn't do it because they were like right i'll, I'll go out there and i'll push i'll talk to them about whatever candidates or our platform you want but i'm not specifically going to go tell them to vote for hillary because i don't yeah hillary and they were like, well, if you're not going to tell them to vote for Hillary, then you're not, then don't do your job. You're not. And so I just was like, fuck all of you. Right. Right. Fuck the Democratic Party and fuck all of you. And then so when Bernie ran this year, 
I was like, they don't want him. They don't want him. So I have a, I have a question. Um, now he suspended his campaign, but his name is still going to be on the ballot. So can, if enough of us vote for him and he wins, can he win? Yeah. No. And, and would, would he take it? Yeah. Yeah. He did not okay. fall from. No, he, he just suspended the campaign. campaigning for it. Yeah. So if people still want to vote for him, they can. Um, okay. But he's thrown his support behind Biden now. So I know, I know. I hate that. He did the same uh, when Hillary, but Hillary won. It wasn't like he stopped his campaign. They fought it out. Right. Hillary won. And so then he backed Hillary. Right. Pissed me off. And I threw away my Bernie shirt. Because uh, when push came to shove, that feels like selling out to me. Yeah. I, you just can't, you can't provoke me against somebody and then tell me to support them. Right. And forget all those things you said to me is why I shouldn't support them. And right. I'm not loyal to a party, so I don't have to vote blue no matter who because I'm not exactly a Democrat. I actually, the first time Obama ran, I actually probably would have voted for McCain if he hadn't picked crazy pants because I just felt like Obama didn't have the experience to get anything right. done and he didn't really get anything done until the second term. Right. Um, I just felt like, and I, I, I mean, McCain was a Republican, but he was a Republican on old school Republican principles of, of yeah. federal government and all that stuff, which I didn't necessarily agree with, but he wasn't really outspoken against abortion or, or any of those things. Um, right. So because he really believed in state rights. So he was like, that's up to the states. He didn't want to make yeah. a federal case out of a lot of these things that, so he's like, all those things are state rights. And so at least then I knew there would be some states I'd want to live in. Um, but, um, but man, I couldn't have, I could, he was so old and health problems. Like I was like, if he dies, I cannot have crazy pants as president. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. If he'd have picked a better, if he'd have picked a better running mate, I would have voted for McCain over Obama the first time. Right. Right. But that's because I'm not, I'm not a Republican. I'm not, a Democrat. Um, I'm an independent, and so was Bernie. Right. Yeah, I'm so sick of the parties. I wish they'd go away. The parties, and until they get rid of parties, until they get rid of the electoral college, I don't give a shit about voting for president. I mean, I will. Right. And if one of the candidates happens to move me to a point that I want to vote for them, I'll vote for them. But I'm not. I'm. I'm. I've switched my stuff back to independent so i can't i'm voting kansas and they haven't even done their primaries yet so i can't even i won't even be part of it so it doesn't matter to me um but yeah i'm not i'm not going i don't care i'm not going to be i'm not going to be involved in primaries because the democratic party is going to give you whatever candidate they want to give you right right it doesn't matter yeah. why even why do they even bother doing that just decide amongst yourselves you empower of the of the party and just tell us who you want us to vote for and stop wasting right. time and money with primaries that don't matter and it didn't matter in the 40s yeah yeah you know and so like yeah. I, that oliver stone thing and i was like oh my god it's never been good right and right. oh precinct committee people is how the tea party took over the republicans and how they got wow so, how they got so out of whack to where they are now 
all these religious zealous and stuff got like um ted cruz and all of them um yeah that's how they took over the republican party and changed their platform wow so and it takes a long time that's the thing is like it takes takes a real a good decade um to to really get in there to a point where you can make some changes and most people just are not patient, yeah. patient enough for that. So, wow. The whole system's fucked. It's all rigged. It is. It's it all is. about money and how much money yep. I can make. And yep. anybody that doesn't follow those lines does not last very long in politics. So anybody that's up at a level to where they're going to be running for president is corrupt. Right. I am a hundred percent convinced of that, that, um, in order to be a politician, you have to be willing to sell a little bit of your soul. Mm -hmm. And a regular good person wouldn't do that. Their soul wouldn't be for sale. Yeah, and so I'm convinced that anybody that ends up in politics, that's how it works for them. And I really, truly felt like Bernie was not for sale. I did too, 100%. Uh, he stood by what he believed in. Yeah, but at the end of the day, he knows he's not going to win, and he does want Trump to not win, so I understand why he's backing Biden. Yeah. But as a woman and as um, somebody that's really big in supporting victims' rights and things like that, I don't, I, I'm not going to vote for somebody that makes me sick inside to cast that ballot. Yeah, so. yeah I get it. I'm not writing in Daffy Duck, though. I decided I'm going to write in Daisy Duck. There you go. Fuck Daffy. <laughs> I really like Warren. Um, oh, I loved Warren. Absolutely love her. The only reason I was still kind of sticking with Bernie was mostly just because I already had, you know, and I'd already, I invested so much time and emotional energy into the 2016 campaign with him. And that mm -hmm. um, I really, I do like Warren. You know, nobody's perfect, but um, she would have got things done that I want done too. So, yeah, but I wasn't going to vote just like with Hillary. I wasn't going to vote for somebody just because they were a woman. Right. Right. Like in 2016. Yeah. I was a bad fan. Yeah. I was a bad fan. It was. Oh, the worst. And I was like, I don't, Hillary's evil. Okay. She is. I think she's a robot or something. I don't even think she's a woman. She's the Clintons are shady, evil. She doesn't care about us or, no. or, or anybody. She doesn't give a shit about me. So right. No. No, I couldn't vote. Yeah. I actually voted for the Green Party <laughs> in the 2016 election. Um, huh. um more as an act of rebellion, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> well, because I didn't really care about her being president, and I knew that the Green Party was not going to win. But for us to truly have another third party, they have to get 5% of the vote or something. Right. Like um, and I was like, well, they're not going to win. But if we can get them 5% of the vote next time, they'll actually be able to be at the debates. They'll actually be able to have precinct committee people at, at the precincts and have people have those people on the ground walking around to actually get a true third party um right 
But now I think we just need to do away with all parties. Yes, this, like, exactly. This is the person, you know, I could see like having like preliminary, like primaries to vote it down to two people. Um, yeah. I would say everybody needs to vote and you vote it down, you know, start out with whoever wants to run and you vote it down, you vote it down, you vote it down to the two right. people that the country wants to run this country because sometimes they, they go against their own wishes because that's what the party wants. They want to toe the party line and there's all this division. You know, I'm a right. You're a Democrat, and I've been guilty of that division. I've been guilty of, of just like, oh, you're a Republican. I don't even want to talk to you. You know what I mean? Right. And yeah. I but now I know I know a lot of like, moderate Republicans that are not happy. Yeah. Their party, they don't like Trump. They don't like all this religion and bullshit. It's just gotten so far off track. Right. Right. It's a horrible game. Come in, boys. It was a system made by rich white guys. It is. I'm sick of the rich white guys. Yeah. So it's inherently broken from the get-go. Right. Right. So I don't know. It was made by rich white men that had no problem owning other humans. Right. Beating their wives. No doubt. Why should I give a shit? Yeah. God, I hate this country. Okay. <laughs> I do too. I do I'm too. I'm not proud to be an American. Okay. Oh, there's a, there's a baby. Fluffy. Fluffy. That's, that's oh, Jack. Where Luke. And here's another one. That, that one's Gus. Well, okay. To get, get to the point of what we're supposed to be talking about. I might, <laughs> I think that, you know, I don't know if you saw, I'm like thinking about doing a second podcast. that's just me bullshitting with my friends. And so I was like, cause like half the interviews I've been doing, I can't even use for the art of comedy podcast. I just kind of like cut all that out. And I was like, well, I'll just take that and put it on this other podcast. And then I was like, I'll just interview every, anybody. Doesn't have to be a yeah, I'll get that's my a mom, great idea. I'll get my kids. I'll get, there you go. It's just, just, and so it's going to be the fat, fat, lonely bitch. I like it. Um, cause there's a lot of good conversations I've had with people that has nothing to do with the purpose of the art of comedy. So, right. Um, anyway, so to get on the purpose, uh, <laughs> uh, the nonprofit, are you familiar with what I'm trying to do with the nonprofit? I think so, but explain it to me so the, that I know. Uh, what we want to do is give scholarships um, and pay for comedy classes and improv classes for starting with women um, who have, you know, survived trauma or abuse, you know, sexual assault, yeah, and violence, things like that. I'd like to eventually work it into working with women in prisons and things. Oh, like that's that. wonderful. Um, because of the benefits of what comedy has done for me as a person, as a woman and how yeah. it's even if, even if they don't use anything, they're going to be there. So, um, but like, what is your origin story for comedy? Like, when did you get started? How did it happen? So, um, I started in comedy about four, it's been like four years and two months ago. Yeah. And, um, it was coming from a place of trauma. Um, two years before I started, I had been, well, I, 
to give you a little bit of my background, I grew up in a right-wing religious cult, and there was rampant sexual abuse in the religious cult, and so I came from a place of being sexually abused. I had had been attacked and raped when I was 19, and I think that a lot of um, my naivety coming from growing up in the cult situation kind of led me to a place where I made some bad choices and got into a bad situation. And I blamed myself a lot for that for a lot of years. Then um, when I was uh, 44, I was in an abusive relationship and was violently sexually assaulted by my partner at the time. And um, it was a really horrible situation. I was dealing with the trauma and the unhappiness by drinking a lot. And um, I had, we had gotten into a physical altercation. He had pushed me and I had knocked over this TV when he pushed me and it broke and he was very upset with me. So he threw me in the car and told me I was going to buy him another TV. And as we were on our way to the store to do that, he started um, hitting me in the car And so I had had enough at that point and dialed 911 and he immediately pulled the car over and jumped. Okay, you're fine. He, he uh, pulled, pulled the car over, jumped out of the car and made his own 911 call saying that I was the one hitting him. So when the cops rolled up, um, they went and talked to him first and portrayed me as the crazy drunk girlfriend who was just out of control. And so I got arrested. I bet he was really calm. Was he real calm with the cops? Oh yeah, totally Mm -hmm. calm. I mean, it's a completely different person. Yeah. I had bruises on my body from the assault the night before, like literally from my chest down through my abdomen. And the cops took a look at that and were like, "Uh, no, those are old. You're going to jail. Um, I, and the reason I also went to jail is I was mad. Um, I was mad that they talked to him first when I was the one that made the call. They didn't come and check on me when I was the one who had been punched. Um, And so when I got out of the car to talk to them, I wasn't exactly peaceful. Mm -hmm. And so they immediately took me to the ground and arrested me. And so I ended up in jail and um, was trying to tell them that I'm the victim of a sexual assault. I want to be tested. You know, I need to get a rape kit. And they're like, you can do it when you get out of jail. And so um, I ended up going and doing that. But then it brought everything back from when I was 19. At, at 19, I was forced to take a polygraph test um, as a victim just to so that they could establish whether or not I was telling the truth. Even though there was physical evidence and there was trauma and everything else, I was treated like I was trying to accuse someone of something they didn't do. Mm-hmm. And so I was upset that 25 years later when this happened again, it was the same feeling where they're like, well, you're in a relationship with him, so it's going to be really hard to prove this. And so I just dropped everything and I spiraled into a really deep depression Um which was also fueled by alcohol. I was drinking too much to deal with it and that wasn't a healthy choice. And then I would get really depressed. I had tried to off myself a couple of times 
and ended up, um, I think the, the turning point for me is that I had overdosed and I woke up in the ICU on a ventilator and I was completely alone. Um, my children were so mad at me for trying to do that. And my friends were so angry with me that nobody was there. And so it was a wake up call where I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I playing this out and reliving this every day and tormenting myself? I need to do something different. Something needs to change. So I ended up finding a really good therapist and we started doing some trauma work. And um, she's like, you need an outlet. You need an outlet for your pain and your grief. And so I journaled a lot to start, but I was like, I feel like I need to do something bigger. I need to challenge myself. And that's when um, a friend who worked at Comedy Works as a waitress uh, recommended to me, why don't you sign up for New Talent Night and come on stage? And, you know, like that's an amazing feeling to be on stage and making people laugh. Why don't you do that? And so I... I had called in, you know, for about 10 weeks and got my, my date. And I was like, I don't want my first time to be showing up on the comedy work stage. I need to do some open mics or something. So I started hitting the open mic circuit and, um, I was hooked. I was absolutely hooked. I, where would you remember? Where you one was? Oh, sorry. There's dogs in the background. You guys stop. <laughs> sorry. What was the question? Where was your first mic? My first mic was at 300 Sons in Longmont. Mm -hmm. It's a, a brewery place. The girls at, um, what is, oh, what is their comedy thing? I can't think of the name of their business, but um, they do an open mic there twice a month at the 300 Sons place in Longmont. Yeah. So that was my first time, and I went ahead and did my five minutes, and it went well, and I was just hooked. And so um, when I did my first comedy works thing, I was really nervous because that that's a big venue, but um, it, I just was hooked. I had the bug. And so I've continued to do it. It's a, a great place to work out um, just the pain. I mean, there there's, it's unfair what happens to women. Life is unfair. Um, even sometimes in the comedy world, you know, there's, things that happen where all of us women will stick together and we have the guys on our list that are like, yeah, don't travel with him. He's shady and stuff like yeah. that. They call us the witches. Oh, do they? You've been canceled by the witches. The witches canceled <laughs> another one. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know we had a, a coven. That's amazing. No, we should start, <laughs> start some spells. Come on. Yeah. Lean in. Yeah. Lean in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't, they didn't realize want to that. Call us bitches, but yeah, they yeah, us witches. Oh well, that's so kind. Yeah. Yeah. So that's basically um, my background story on it and how I got in. I continue to do therapy. I um, I have found that um, EMDR is super helpful. Have you ever heard of that? I did because Adam Caton Holland. I don't know if you've read his book. Oh yeah, I love Adam. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I'd heard about it before that book, but when he talks about it in that book, um, yeah, yeah, it, 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 I don't think it's something that I would need, but yeah, I can see how it could be really beneficial. Yeah, it, it really does. Um, it basically is a, you hold these paddles and you relive your trauma. Um, you think, and you don't have to talk about it, but you think about it. 
And it literally rewires your brain so that you can reprocess how you handle the trauma. Yeah. And it's successful treatment for PTSD. Um, it's super, I'm super bummed right now because I was really making some progress with it. And now that it, we're in quarantine, I have to do tele-therapy um, with my therapist. Yeah. So it's, we can't do it right now. But um, I'm excited once this is all over with to get back in and just really like kind of finish fixing myself. It just because a lot of bad stuff happened to me doesn't mean that I have to stay broken or um, damaged or whatever, you know, and I, I felt like that for a long time where I just felt so beat down and that there was something wrong with me, but um, stuff happens. And so it's, I, I you have believe that your trauma, what's that? You have jokes specifically about your traumatic events? Um, I, I have a couple of really um, inappropriate rape jokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, I don't do them all the time. Um, I, I do more of a thing where I look back on the 80s and talk about how, um, how it was in the 80s that we, um, we got into the van without asking questions, stuff like that. That's more of my yeah. take on it. I try not to do specific rape jokes since the Me Too movement. Um, I am a little more sensitive about it just because I don't want to trigger anyone. And yeah. so I don't, I don't, that's not one of the jokes that I do routinely. Yeah. So yeah. Cause like a lot of people are like thinking that I want people to go through these classes and then make jokes about their trauma, which isn't even, Oh no. even if you never make a joke about it, like how, like how has comedy helped you? Um, as a survivor? I think it has given me an outlet. I mean, I have something else to focus on where when you're in the throes of trauma and trying to just survive every day, um, for me, I, I also suffer from depression that's just a genetic trait. And um, there are days where the only things that I accomplish are showering, getting dressed and brushing my teeth. Mm -hmm. And some, some days that's got to be okay. But then there's other times where I'll write a really good bit or I'll get to perform. And that is a celebration for me when there's nothing like the rush of getting off stage after having a really good set. Yeah. And I think we all need more feel good things in our life. So yeah. that's what it does for me. It, it, gives me um a sense of accomplishment and i i like that good feeling that's amazing to me yeah for me i have a feel yeah i feel uh it's helped my confidence i got into it at a low point as well it seems to be a theme yes <laughs> um regardless of gender um yeah i kind of like comedy kind of found me more than I found comedy um and I wasn't I wasn't at all prepared for the changes it was going to make within me I just uh -huh. people thought I was funny I know I liked making people laugh uh there was finally an outlet board in Wichita my little brother did it um nice 
I was like, I'm just going to hang out with the comedians because I'm sad and they seem fun. And then I watched an open mic and was like, I'm better than these people. Not all of them, but you know, a lot of them. Yeah. And so I was like, fuck it. I'll try, you know? Um, yeah. You know, I just, my kids were older and, um, I was looking for the next thing because my life had been so just focused on raising those kids and just surviving. You know, I hadn't really been able to even think about me or um, what I wanted in life. I just, right. I, I had kids very young and I just, the, the, everything was about what's going to be best for them. Um, and right. Mom being a comedian probably wouldn't have been what was best for the kids. So I, um, you know, I was a single mom, most of it. I mean, I had boyfriends and stuff, but at the end of the day, my younger two anyway, were my responsibility. And so they were getting older. They had their own lives. Um, they didn't need me like they Mm -hmm. used to. And now it's just like, what, what am I going to do? with my, cause I was really, really, I was really, really depressed, um, right before I started comedy. And that's when I started taking medication and stuff. Um, because it got, it got to a very scary, like the scariest point that it gotten to since I was like a teenager. And I, I tried to commit suicide and stuff when I was like 13. And so, um, but I had these kids that I had, I couldn't, I couldn't die and I couldn't, right sleep I had to get up I had to go to work I had to continue and so um but I the guy I was dating at the time I I told him one time I was like the only thing keeping me from killing myself is that I know that my sons have no one else to take care of them properly um that it would completely destroy their lives and they'd have to go with their dad and their stepmom they hate or my mom or somebody I'm all my, I'm all they had. And they, I mean, right. they actually told me that like, you're all, I, my older boy told me once, like I was the only person he had that he knew he could truly rely on. And uh-huh. so, um, but I was like, what am I going to do when they grow up and they don't need me like that anymore? What's going to stop me then? Um, so right. I was really scared. I was scared of myself. I was scared that I really did. I really, I really would have at that time killed myself if I didn't have my kids. I would have been no reason. My causing my mom pain wouldn't have been enough to stop me. Um, you know, and so, and then I found comedy like, yeah. Um, in the middle of all of that. Um, and I immediately had something else to live for besides my children. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and my whole life, I felt like I was meant to do something Yeah, that not the average person does. I just felt like I thought I was going to be a journalist. I thought I was going to be a writer. I was really into Hunter S. Thompson in high school. Um, I've always been kind of a rebellious person that didn't really fit into any of the molds that anybody tried to put on me. Uh, my sexuality, my gender, everything has just always been so murky and none of the labels or what is out there really fit me. And I just felt like there was something that I was supposed to be doing besides going to work every day and, you know, punching right. the clock. And um, I tried several different like business ventures and things over the years. Um, I thought being a mom was it, 
like that was going to be my thing. And I still, I got it. And then I wasn't satisfied with it um, fully. And then right. when I went up on stage and I got that first laugh um, and I came, I remember walking down the ramp of the stage and was like, that's it. Yeah. This is, yeah. The, this is my one right. love. And I finally, it just fit. It just fit. And um, I just threw myself into it. And then as much as I could with my kids still, you know, I still had to take care of my kids and stuff. And, right. And then, you know, they were done. And so like the last year, I just packed up what I could fit in my SUV. Well, it was a minivan originally. And I left. And then I moved here and I lived in my SUV for like six months. Um, and I just decided that I was going to trust the universe. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and look at all the things that have happened. That's amazing. It is. It's, it's been, I mean, and yeah, it's just been like, it helped my confidence. It helped me figure out who I am. I'm getting choked up. Um, it helped me figure out who I am. You know, it helped me find my voice as a woman, as a human. I'm sorry. It's okay. Everybody quiet. quiet. Is it that male man? I think it is the damn mailman coming in and delivering mail again every day. Yeah. Everybody calm down. Bye. It's all right. Okay. But it helped me. I'm glad they're barking because I don't like crying. I don't like doing <laughs> I don't like showing emotion and but uh yeah so it just it just really like brought me back to life you know and I know, I know it's cliche and people say that all the time like comedy saved my life yeah he's agreeing with me yeah I am uh, but I really do I really feel I really feel like comedy saved my life and then you know especially coming out here to Denver and I came out here to visit right away I've always loved Denver um even before I did comedy and then coming out here and just the group of, group of all the comedians, but really the group of women here, you know, inspirational. Yeah, we have an incredible um, sisterhood in yeah. comedy here in Colorado that is, I am just grateful to be a part of. I really feel like um, because of many of their shared stories and just watching them and how they perform and what they do. It has turned me in from, it has turned me into not someone who's just surviving, but someone who's thriving. Yeah. And I like, I really like that. And I, I feel like I owe that, um, that change of mindset to the, the sisterhood that we have. Yeah. And so that's really what I want to do with the nonprofit is I, I know it can help maybe not a lot of people. Yeah. But if we can just reach a couple women a year, even. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that, that will be enough for me. And if they never do anything with it after the classes, if they don't go and be a comedian, um, you know, I think that just, just learning how to look at life differently. Yeah. A different perspective is really going to be, beneficial for them yeah um, well, and being, being a part of something matters so much I don't think people even realize until you are able to do it and then step back from it a little bit and being part of something really does give you purpose well because like you if you grew up with like an occult situation 
Um, most of them, I, I assume it was a situation of where if you leave the cult, you have to, you're cutting yourself off from people. And yeah. 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 And, I mean, it's like that even with, even with just like, I grew up Pentecostal and, you know, I went to church for several years as an adult and there was that community there and there were those people there. Um, and so when I stopped being religious, I didn't talk to those people anymore. Um, I didn't go to play groups. They, I didn't get invited to things, kids right. parties and stuff anymore. Cause I didn't go to the, I didn't believe in God. And so I would, yeah. you know, it, it wasn't like a systematic, you need to shun her. It's just something that happened. Right. So um, humans are a pack for pack animals. Yeah. We're not meant to, life is hard. And we are not meant to do it alone. We're not, right. we're not meant to do it alone. So um, a lot of people, especially when you start like not just women, but you start getting into the LGBTQIA community. Um, a lot of them, they lose their entire families yeah, just to be who they are. And so, you know, I think that it could really help them, you know, for the same reasons it helps, it helps, you know, anybody. Right them with their confidence and to be who they are and to find their voice and, and to have a community again that maybe they yeah. don't have. And so that's like the next leg after, after women and then troubled youth is kind of like, um, not something I originally had planned, but, um, initially it was the lady that's helping me set it up. was like, you need a lot of grants for kids. Uh, -huh. And so I was like, mm, give me that money. But, yeah. <laughs> but now, you know, uh, it's just because I love my children. Yeah. I was going to be an English teacher. And then I realized that I just like my kids. <laughs> and, um, but I can see like, as a person who was a troubled youth, um, you know, I was, I was given some purpose in high school by an English teacher who got me into writing and poetry and supported me in that. Um, but yeah, if I, kids need direction and, yeah, and, you know, I see these funny, funny kids coming out now that are so young, um, doing comedy. Yeah. And like I said, Generation Z is growing up faster and they are kind of a darker generation. They have, dark, yeah. they have a very dark sense of humor, you know, um, they've just grown up in a world full of tragedy. Right. Um, and so even if, even if they don't have anything that happened to them, there's still so much for them to process. Right. And comedy would be a great way to do it or improv. Um, Absolutely. I think improv might work better for younger, like teenage kids. Yeah. Cause it is a group thing. Um, but yeah, so like, I want to like maybe get them young, you know, get yeah. them get them started before right the world beats them down too far absolutely absolutely but, yeah so that's really like I just I just I don't really think I'm gonna be famous I think you know what I mean um, yeah but I think that comedy can do a lot of good for people I agree and I wanna I just want to help people I'm a healthy helper I'm a very nurturing yeah. I have, I was telling uh, Mel, she, you know, from the Springs, I was telling her how I just, I have so much love 
and so much nurturing, caringness in me that I want to give. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that even after raising four kids, I still just have so much of it that right. I keep giving to people. Um, and so I'm really grateful that I figured out a way to do that through comedy. Absolutely. And so um, I'm really excited for this to all be over so I can really get <laughs> this nonprofit going. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm hoping Very cool. for. Yeah. Very cool. Fingers crossed. Toes crossed. Yes. We'll see. It's great. It's going to be forever. Forever. Nope. This too shall pass. I've been okay. told. So that's what they say. <laughs> you just wait for the next shit storm. That's um, right. That's right. But you have a lovely husband now, right? I do have a lovely husband. husband. We are almost, we're a week away from our one year anniversary. Which gives me hope. As yes. A single 42 year old woman who feels like. Yeah. Oh, I keep trying to tell him, but I keep telling him to, he, he's free to leave at any time, but he sticks around. So yeah. Is he younger? Yeah. Than you? Nope. He's a year older than me. Oh, really? Yeah. So we met actually through comedy. Yeah. Um, he, uh, used to work at a comedy club in Ohio when he was in his early twenties and just loved it. Um, he never has performed himself, but he's funny. And so um, he friended me on Facebook because we had mutual friends in common, and we also both love dogs. And um, so we became friends, and he was actually coming out of a marriage at the time that I met him. And I remember seeing some of his posts and thinking, he's going to need a minute to get over that, but I'm going to snatch that up as soon as I can. And so it was about a year later and I saw that he was, um, he had gone through his stages of grief and he was starting to come out of things. And so I started talking to him and he was super dense, didn't understand that I was actually interested in him. And so finally I had to say, so I'm interested in you. I think you're really attractive and I think you're wonderful. And he's like, Oh, well, okay. And within like three months after that, he had moved out here. He lived in Texas at the time. And within three months he moved out here and six months later we were married. So yeah, I never saw that coming. That's why I adopted a lot of dogs because I thought I'd never love another human being. And so I was just going to devote my life to dogs. Yeah. But there he came along. So. Yeah. I, um, yeah. Comedy has helped me when it comes to relationships too, because, um, I just don't, I just don't accept certain behavior anymore. Right. And, right. Um, I have no problem just walking away um, when I'm not treated the way I want to be treated. Right. And so, and I make it, I'm not like, I'm real clear with people on what I'm looking for, what I want, how I want to mm -hmm. be treated. And so it's not like they're needing to even be a mind reader. I make it as easy as possible, you know? Right. Um, and I know exactly what I'm looking for. And I know what I want, but I know that, I don't, at the end of the day, I don't really care as long as I have comedy. Right, right. If I find that person, I do really, really, really want to find 
somebody yeah. to be, you know, a life partner with. But if I don't, um, I got comedy, you know. That's right. That's right. As long as I still have that, um, that's all that really matters. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's really, it's really helped me just be like, you know what? I don't like this. I'm leaving. And yeah. before I would stay with people that didn't treat me right. Um, because I believed that I was, this was my last chance. You know, if I don't right. with this person, I'm going to die alone. And, and then what do I have? And the kids are going to be grown. I'm just going to be all alone with my dog. And, you know, and I just, I didn't like that thought. So I was stuck <laughs> with people that weren't what I wanted. Yeah. Now it's like, whatever, man. I'm exactly. A, I'm a comedian. I'm better than you. Fuck off. And <laughs> That's right. <laughs> how dare you talk to me like that? I'm a comedian. I'm That's great. You are. I don't say and that, now, but I think it is. Yeah. Like, and now I'm going to talk about you on stage. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's why I have the tattoos. Like, at least I got some good material. <laughs> I got that. I six, love that. Six months into comedy, I tattooed it on me. My only, oh, one and only tattoo. That's uh, fantastic. So, but that's, that's pretty much my philosophy in life in general now. And why I think comedy is helpful because it's like this, you know, sh I wasted three months dating this dude, but I got like 10 minutes of material out of it. <laughs> um, so nothing's ever wasted as long as I can make it funny. No right. Experiences ever for nothing. That's right. That's right. I haven't written any quarantine jokes and I, <sighs> I don't really want to write anything specifically about coronavirus or use the word quarantine on stage. Right. Really wish that once this is over and we start doing comedy again, everyone will just continue on like we were before and pretend it didn't happen. I hope happen. so. No. Yeah. You know that's not going to happen. I know. I know. First of all, first of all, all these idiot dudes are going to think they have the golden corona joke. And they're going to go up there one after the other. One after mm -hmm. the other. Their different takes on the coronavirus. And right. the quarantine and blah, blah, blah. And it's going to be so obnoxiously saturated. But I feel like right now there's so many people being brought to rock bottom in their lives yeah. or having their lives destroyed. Do you know how many like marriages are probably going to end? Because like, I know they had to be together all the time. Right. Right. And they couldn't go escape each other. Yeah. Realize they don't like that person. Right. Know? Or, uh, or, or yeah. So there's going to be plenty of dudes that got their wives left them. They lost their job. They're at their rock bottom and there's going to be so many more comedians. And that's right. I want to make sure that some of those are female. I just, yeah. <laughs> I, I just feel like all these dudes sitting at home right now, just like at rock, getting to rock bottom and they're like, I need to change. I'm going to do comedy. I just, uh, yeah, it's gonna, I feel like when it gets started, it's, it's going to be like just a year of bullshit until they weed themselves out. Right. I think you're probably right. It's going to be scary. Yeah, I have a little different take on, I'm, I'm not going to be doing any coronavirus jokes or quarantine jokes just because um, I'm in healthcare. That's my other full-time oh, yeah. job. And uh, it has been devastating. As my husband put it the other day that I have 
this whole process, I've died a little bit inside because it has just been um, horrible to watch. I have to x-ray these patients that are completely alone and their families aren't allowed to visit them in ICU. And you come in, you know, I work weekends, so I work Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I check when I get back to work on Friday nights, did they make it? And so many times they aren't, they haven't made it. They passed away during the week. And um, I was on a first name basis with them. You know, I would talk to them when I would go in and x-ray them. And even if they were on ventilators, I would make sure that I used their name and stuff like that and treated them as if they were awake because I knew they didn't have anyone. But it's just been, I never in my life thought I would see this. I've been doing healthcare for 30 years now and I never in my wildest dreams could have imagined that we would be where we are. It's you know, and then, um, I've been curious, like the people howling at 8 p.m. to thank yeah. you. Yeah. Does that, does that actually make you feel any, like, do you hear them howling and feel appreciated? I do. I, I also, um, I'll stop talking have, on them then. Oh, that's okay. I've also understood that, um, they're howling for someone they've lost. And so I, um, I feel like there's solidarity in that, that we've all suffered a loss, even though I haven't known anyone personally that's a friend of mine that's passed away from this. Um, I've certainly witnessed the death and for people to acknowledge that, that's great. One of the other things that they're doing for me at my hospital is um, the restaurants are donating food. Mm -hmm. So we come into work and they're passing out lunches and dinners to us. And that's just so kind since we know that their resources are limited as well, but they're going above and beyond to make sure that we're fed and stuff like that. That's huge. Yeah. So even just people, you know, that'll say thank you. It makes me embarrassed. I don't take um, compliments very well. Yeah. Even if, even if somebody says that I look nice or something, I always have to tell them where I got my clothes and, oh, look, this dress has pockets or something like that. Yeah. I'm just uncomfortable. Five dollars, you know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So for people to say thank you, um, it's nice, but I also feel embarrassed because I'm just the one taking the pictures of their lungs. The respiratory therapist and the nurses that are in there with them the entire 12 hour shift, the ones that have to hold the iPads up so that their families can say goodbye to them. Those are the real heroes. I'm just, I'm just taking pictures, but, um, it's, uh, it's a team effort. Everybody, I, I feel like one of the great things that has come out of this is my team is my family. Now I was just, I had a job before and I was a part of a team, but now I consider my coworkers, my family, because we're all going through this together. We cry together. Um, we laugh together, but we, it's hard on us and our, we don't want to take it home to our families yeah. and be like, Oh my God, you would not believe what I saw today, but um, we rely on each other. So it's been, well, you're on Definitely. the front lines, kind of like, you know, the military, you know. They, yeah. Um, you know, maybe we should get some of them into comedy. Um, yeah, I like it. I like it. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll start with uh, first responders and shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it's just, I mean, and you see it, you're in it, 
you're you're living it every day you're in the hospital you see the truth yeah and then you have i can't even imagine how like i know how angry it makes me when people are on the internet and they're out protesting oh. like yeah you know you just you just came in the weekend and found out your patient died and you got some idiots um that were out, they're out protesting yes yes things back up oh and i know and i i've had so many co-workers say what about when they get it you know we're not gonna we're gonna be there we will be there and we will save you and we will do our best to take care of you no matter what your views are because that's what we do mm-hmm. but you are a fucking idiot yeah it reminds so, me of those, those um the pictures of like the the um black doctors and stuff working on a kkk member that was hurt in a rally yes and they're saying it's just a room full of them and they're saving his life yes um because that's what you do right but yeah it's um you know people want him to sign those pledge cards but even if you have a pledge card like that in your wallet it's not like you're gonna just walk away oh you got that card never mind yeah um, yeah oh i could never work in the medical field uh it would destroy me so i'm in awe of all of you no matter what you're doing in it um right now it's just I do I do have an outlet for it. I have a I have a podcast. Um it's called Your Emergency is Showing and it helps me um kind of let a little bit of the the steam out. <laughs> yeah. Um of course it's still HIPAA protected and everything, but I get to talk about some of the things that I see that is just ridiculous. Most of it is um has a comedic um, flair to it where, you know, people put things up their butt and they get stuck and stuff like that. But, um, some of it we turn into just educating people about, uh, you know, when to go to the doctor, when to go to the ER, certain conditions, stuff like that. So my co-host is named David LaGuardia. He, um, he's out of, uh, Vancouver, Washington. And so we, um, we Skype and record the podcast together and my husband produces it and so um yeah you got anybody what's that it's all the pictures of the studio yeah isn't that nice oh man it's, so jealous. yeah he really it's a great place if you ever need a recording space let us know yeah it's yeah i'm i'm super jealous i guess that's one of the benefits <laughs> of being a homeowner yeah yeah well the our girls moved out um my my daughter and her partner had lived with us well since forever since they were babies um i actually uh speaking of kids that needed a place to be um her girlfriend moved in with us when she was 14 because her parents were going through a divorce and had found themselves into some drugs and stuff like that. And they weren't able to care for her. So I actually took um, legal guardianship of her girlfriend when she was 14 and raised her. And um, it was kind of a difficult situation because they were in a relationship together. And I was like, just so you know, if you guys break up, your girlfriend is still our responsibility. So either make it work or just be prepared that she is part of our family now. Yeah. And so um, they just recently got a place of their own. They moved out this past summer 
And um, I have to admit that my heart broke a little bit. I liked having my daughter who was in her early 20s still living with me. I didn't mind that she was still around just because it was nice to see her face every day. Yeah. But um, they moved out. And so all of a sudden we found ourselves with an extra bedroom and we're like, what are we going to do with this? You know, we aren't sure how to handle it. So my husband has always had a dream of turning, um, having his own studio and I, he has some pretty nice equipment. I didn't realize what he was bringing to the marriage, but he's got some nice equipment. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's been good. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I want somebody that's going to bring me some, some, something to benefit my comedy. You know? Yeah. There's going to be so many people, like you said, there's divorces that are going to be happening. So there's going to be an entirely new market of people and just divorces and obviously people losing loved ones. Mm-hmm. um spouses parents yeah children. um yeah. yeah and i'm i'm doing a podcast i can't remember the name of it I'm recording it on wednesday she's in like new york or new jersey or she's somewhere else but uh-huh. it's about it's about like, i'm going to talk the story about my daughter and it's more of a it's it is a comic but it's not actually a comedic podcast it's just uh-huh. health mental health and ptsd and all this stuff yeah um telling your story of trauma and things like that. And so I have a unique story. So I think I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go on that. But That's great. Um, what was my point? I don't remember, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's just, um, what was my point? We're talking about the studio. I don't remember what my freaking point was. I had a different point to that story, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, my trauma, my, I, uh, my daughter is with my ex. I, I think you heard that or yeah. maybe seen it on Facebook and stuff and they're getting married today. Oh, so every time I start to get in a place, that's a good place with that whole situation, something happens to like, they've broken up and gotten back together. Um, so every time they get back together, it's like, it's all, happening all over again and and now they're getting married and it's really like I was very depressed yesterday I did one interview with my friend Irma but I I didn't put on makeup and sit in my chair I did it from my bed yeah she looked amazing and she was (laughs) but um, (laughs) I was like if I do use any video from this one it will not be of me and um but so it's like nobody knows how to deal with that uh, right. That is a wackadoodle situation. I know. My it, God. And so part of comedy is that people relate to what you're saying. Yeah. And nobody can relate to that. No one's ever no. after and been like, oh my God, me too. Um, yeah. I love the material I wrote about it. Um, but I can't deliver it unless I'm in a good place with the situation. Right. And every right. time a good place, something happens. And so now they're getting married, which is just a worst night it's it's like my worst nightmare it's like I'm watching my child destroy their life and there's nothing I can do right you know um I imagine parents who have kids with addictions and things feel this way because I did have to cut her off um and it's not because I'm jealous I mean we were broke up before right 
uh, it's not because I feel like she stole my man or there's none of, there's absolutely none of that. I had no, I don't want him. I, I haven't wanted him since, you know, before we broke up. And so, right. um, there's this anger obviously towards him. Um, I, I won't even allow, I don't want to know where he lives. I don't, I truly, truly feel like I would murder him and go to prison. Yeah. Um, and now I have a shovel just so you know, I've, I've had a friend who was in the military and he was in like some special ops shit and he's like, I know people yeah. that can <laughs> make him disappear just so you yeah. know, they'd love to. And I was like, no, maybe no, um, because I'll get caught. I don't, I can't go to prison. I can't. Oh, I know. I'm, I would make a terrible criminal. Yeah, no, I would confess immediately. All the cop, I would open the door. There'd be an investigator there. I'd be like, I did it. I set it all up. I killed him. Yeah, um, I'd probably go confess even if nobody was on to me. I couldn't. <laughs> if I ever do snap and kill him, I'm going to kill him, and then I'm going to call the cops myself and sit and wait for him. And be like, um, yeah, I just killed Andy Carr. <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah. yeah, but you know, then there's all the mixed emotions towards my daughter because I love her. Right, she's my kid, and then that was really hard because I just remember her being a little baby and she's my first kid she's who made me a mom and and uh i do love her so much but at the same time i'm so angry with her yeah uh, but then i have to remember she is young yeah um, she's only 23 now she was 18 when this started and i i know what i was like when i was in love with this man yeah and how she she says that the things that he did to me that he does not do to her but he's done it to every single person he's ever been with. Right. Um, he's just verbally abusive. And like when they were, they had, I thought they were broke up for like a year and her and I, she started coming around. She was there for Christmas. She was there. I finally had all my kids back again for the first, I didn't talk to her at all for two years. No. Wow. Yeah. For two years. And then I got a, my, my younger daughter was like, you, um, she tried to, her and Andy had broke up and my daughter, my older daughter had tried to kill herself and was in the um, Good Shepherd place in Wichita and they needed somebody to come up there and um, get her out basically and say they were going to uh -huh. report her and take care of her. And her dad was out of town all the time and so he couldn't do it. And her stepmom has seen through her bullshit since she was 14, whereas me and her dad are like, no. You know, and, um, you know, and so Amy wasn't going to go do it. And Amy had, they had younger kids and she didn't really want her there around uh, her younger children in the state that she was in. And so right. um, uh, the first time I saw her for the, in two years was in Good Shepherd. And I went up there um, and, you know, she had the bandages on and stuff and, um she said it was over and that she was really sorry. And we repaired a relationship and we, it was almost a year of that. And then I found out they were back together. Um, uh -huh. After I moved away, I came back and I was supposed to have lunch with her and I was walking by her minivan that I'd given her. And I saw that the tags were from a different County and it's the County that he always lived in and where his family lives. And I was like, why, why are your tags from Harvey County? You know, and I knew, and then yeah, it just blew up. And so it started it all over again. It's like, I had to start the process of healing all over again. And, um, now they're getting married, which means, Oh my God. 
eventually be a child, you know? Right. Oh. So I have to like prepare myself for that, that they're, yeah. that they're, I'm surprised it hasn't been a child already. I honestly hope that she can't have children. Right. Um, especially with him, but I don't know yeah. if she's ever going to be someone that needs to have kids. And so um, she's just very selfish. And so, um, yeah, so I have that. I know that's coming eventually. It's probably going to happen. And it's just, I can try to prepare myself for it. It's going to break my heart. I can't, right. it's my grandchild. I'm not going to be able to be part of their life. And right. she said that she's going to tell them that I'm dead and that, you know, and I didn't do anything. You know what I mean? No. I yeah. Bad, I wasn't a bad mother. No. Um, I was a good mom. I am a good mom. And yeah. um, so I didn't like do anything to deserve her to be so angry at me. Right. And I don't understand. I don't understand any of it. And I'm not ever going to get the answers I need from her. Right. And so it's hard to just accept that I'm not going to ever really get the truth out of her because she right. doesn't know the truth. And I don't think right. she just has lied so much that she doesn't even know what the truth is anymore. Mm. And, and she seems really happy um, yeah. from what information she, but he's, they're in Reno now. They're not even... Oh, wow. Because he got a job in Reno and he makes really good money. So he's, she's out there in Reno. She's completely reliant on him. She has no family or friends around. She has no, wow. if things do go south, she's burnt every bridge. Um, there's nobody that's going to, to help her anymore. Right. She well, and that's probably right where he wants her. That's typical abusive behavior is to isolate you from everybody so that you have total control and total reliability on them. Yeah. And he, yeah. And he's just not somebody I'd want my kid with. Period. Right. Right. He's 48 years old, 47. Jesus. Ugh. And he's just, he's not, it was like six years of being in, in a cult. Right. Right. The only member. Yeah. And I, I needed him when we were together. Like I yeah. couldn't live without him. Um, and I was actually still sad and in love with him until the minute I found out my daughter and him were together. Um, wow. Just the day before I found out, I cried about him because I thought that he was just mentally ill and refused to get help for it. And that's why we couldn't be together. But gotcha. I truly, truly thought that he was my soulmate and that we couldn't be together because of his mental illness. Wow. Um, so when all this came out, it's like, who was I even in love with? Because I wasn't in love with a man that would ever date his girlfriend's daughter or a right. who would date a 17 year old child. I wasn't right. I, so like, it was just like six years of my life is like, and as much as I love comedy, if I could go back and if there was one thing I could change in my life and go back in the time machine, it would be to never have met him. Yeah. And if, if that meant that I never got into comedy, cause people are like, well, everything we do leads us to where we are. And I'm like, 
even if it meant I never got into comedy, I would give it all up to get, you know, right. Never have met him because he just has destroyed, you know, a, right. a part, a foreign part of my family. I have, there's always going to be a missing, it's like she's dead. Almost. Right. Right. She's in contact with her siblings, uh, especially her sister because the girls have a dad and the boys have a dad. Okay. So she's still in contact with her sister and then my youngest child. Um, but they don't like what she did. And then right. my son, Caleb just doesn't really want anything to do with her. Um, because of it. And then my mother, you know, my mother has to deal with this too. It's her grandchild. And right. she says for her, it's like, you're my baby and she hurt my baby. Yeah. I can't forgive her for that. Yeah. So even when she started coming back around, my mom had just started to open up to her again before it came out that she was back with him. So everyone tries to just blame him. Like, I don't think that he was grooming her while we were together. I don't think that there was any intention for any of that to happen. I don't think that it was something he sought out or, you know, I, there was none of that beforehand that I'm aware of, but you know, who knows? <laughs> right. Right. I don't, I don't know. I, you know, yeah. and you know, part of me is like, do I want to know? Does it really matter? If I yeah. You know, the truth, is it really going to matter? It doesn't change anything to know, but right. yeah, I just, he's just the worst thing that ever happened to me, you know? And it's, it's continually happening to me every day to me because I don't have my daughter Uh, and now they're getting married and uh, what do you even fucking do with that? I don't even know what to do with it. I know. I know. And there's no one that like, people are like, Oh, it's going to be okay. And I've had trauma too. And I'm like, okay, well, here's what happened to me. And they're like, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Really? And people think I'm not like, I'm, like when I tell the jokes, people think I'm not serious. People think that I'm like, why would I make that up as a joke? Um, right. Like, <laughs> but I do have material about it. Maybe now that I'm starting to be able to do longer sets, I can do it. Cause I really have to have, I have to have at least 15 minutes. Cause I got, yeah. I got to get in. I got to like get them on my side, take them down real dark. And I have to have yeah. bring them back up. I can't, right. I can't leave them there. Um, right. But I was just happy I could write the material, even if I never do anything with it. Yeah. But they are getting married. I wonder if they're going to, they, she talked years ago about getting tattoo wedding bands. Oh dear. So part of my joke was not only did I, not only did I give birth to a terrible person, she's also a douchebag. I can't wait to hear this set. It'll be great. I haven't done it in so long. And now that they're actually are getting married, it's not just a, well, maybe, I don't know. She lies a lot. Yeah. So who knows, but yeah, it seems like they really are. They really wow. are. And this is his third marriage. Oh, good. Fourth marriage, third marriage. Him wow. and I never got married. We were supposed to, but, um, I wouldn't set a date until he'd given me six months without an episode or uh-huh. and he never he can do it. Never get there. Yeah. Every time we'd get close, he'd freak out. Wow. And scream and break things and 
Wow. So, yeah, wow. I don't know what to do with that. No, I don't know. That's not, a lot. There's not support groups for it. I know no. I'm the only one. Right. The only person I can think of that could relate to me is, is Woody Allen's wife, ex-wife. Yes. Which is even a worse situation than mine. Right. That was his adopted daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's the only, that's, I, ever since this happened with my daughter, I can't, I don't even like watching Woody Allen movies. Like I, I want nothing to do with Woody Allen. Right. Like, he already made me uncomfortable to begin with, but he makes really good movies. Right. But now I'm like, I don't want, if it has anything to do with him, I don't want anything to do with him. And yeah. I, I get real pissed off when men are dating very young women. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. It makes me so angry. Yeah. I get it. That's kind of a, well, I have a really good stepmom, but my dad went younger. He, um, after he and my mom broke up, my dad married a woman who's just a year older than his oldest son. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, keep it classy, dad. That was awesome. But, um, yeah, he, Andy has a son that's a year older than my daughter. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But at least, um, she actually is a good person. She was a better mom to me than my own mother. So that was, that turned out to be a good thing, but I love my yeah. stepmom. Mm -hmm. Um, we don't talk a lot or anything, but we've always me, her and her dad and their dad have always, um, like when all this shit happened with my daughter, um, I called Amy first and I let Amy uh -huh. tell Robert. Wow. Wow. They've been together since we split up in 99. So she, uh -huh. she knows him. She knows when to give him information. She knows how to tell it to him. She knows what information to give him and what not to give him. I obviously don't communicate with him well. One of the reasons we're not together. Uh -huh. you know? So then, you know, when Helen got out of it and, you know, I went to pick her up at Good Shepherd, she developed a little problem with meth for a minute. And so we had to deal with that as a group of parents. Um, right. And so I've always felt like if something happened to me, my, my, my daughters were always going to have a mother. That's good. And, um, yeah, but. Wow. I didn't talk to her dad about it. I don't have conversations with him about this. I don't know how he feels. I obviously, he doesn't like it. Right. And I've never actually had a conversation with him about it. We're just like, Helen, huh? Yeah. Mm. You know, <laughs> her name's Helen as well. Well, she's going by her middle name now, Marie but her name's Helen Marie. That's part of my, wow. that's part of my joke too, is that, you know, I named her after me, so it made it easy for him. <laughs> and they can still use those, they can still use those Helen and Andy towels we had made, <laughs> which we didn't have towels made, but that's how I kind of end the set. Yeah. It feels pretty that's dark. Awesome. At one point I'm like, um, I say like on my darkest days, I think, you know, maybe I should have taken her father's suggestion and had that abortion. <laughs> That's awesome. It's very dark. And yes. Uh, that with the towel joke. I lightened it up with a towel joke. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how I. That's how I leave them with that joke, and then I. <laughs> Then I do my other kid jokes and I bring them quickly back. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. I'm going to get out of here. All right. Well, thank you so much. This has been awesome to talk to you. And we'll see how.
yeah, I mean, I'll use some of it for one and probably some of it for the other and yeah, um, cut out any name dropping I was doing of comedians. I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Stuff talking about being in the medical stuff. What's that? When you were talking about your job and stuff. I yeah. Think, I think it's, it's, it's definitely a perspective people need to be hearing right now. Okay. All right. I'll let you know whenever I throw anything you said out there. Sounds good. I'll talk to you later. All right. Take care. Bye.